All right, good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax for the local coronavirus update. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. Welcome back. Thank you. How was your week? Oh, lovely. Did you think about things other than COVID? Oh, I've been working since the last show, pretty much nonstop. Oh, really? So, yeah. Well, okay, so you So actually, I hadn't had to think about COVID much because we're really not seeing it. That's in the what I wanted room. to hear. Wow. Um, remarkably, uh, we just, you know, we've vaccinated our way out of the pandemic um, locally for now. So uh, you're just not seeing COVID at the emergency room at all? Not really. No, I, I worked pretty much every day since last Monday, and I did not see a single person with symptomatic COVID. Seven shifts, eight shifts. Wow. Yeah. And how does that compare to, say, other phases of this thing? Uh, well, back in December and January, I was seeing three to six people a day. Um, asymptomatic people were coming in with other things, were testing positive for COVID um, pretty routinely. So it's it's quite a shift. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. It's good. Good news. Yes. So now my work's just back to the normal... <laughs> Heart attacks, trauma, etc. Oh, yeah. back to the sort of more dramatic, or less, depending on the night. Right. Well, fewer people paying attention <laughs> yeah. to the causes of it. That's yes. for sure. Yes. Um, okay. Well, what's the news for the week? Is there any? Not a lot. Um, we're still, you know, doing quite well locally and statewide. Um, nationally, things are trending in the wrong direction again, um, slightly. It's not a major surge, but it's it's a worrisome trend. Um, so why don't we get the numbers out of the way? Um, total count up to 3,949. Uh, we're adding about four cases a day in the county. 2.4% um, positivity, um, just over 70 people in isolation and quarantine as of um, a couple days ago, and a total of three people hospitalized countywide with COVID. So that's up from last week. By one, still a very low number. So um, in California, we're, we're adding about 2,500 cases a day. Um, still trending slightly downward, but kind of hitting a flat line now, um, 2% decrease over two weeks. Nationally, though, we're up 18% over the course of the last uh, week, um, and the death count just crossed 550,000. Um, so we're still seeing it, certainly. Um, the other sort of big COVID news is Pfizer released their adolescent or sort of tween study, um, which showed safety and efficacy. It wasn't the headlines really weren't borne out by the actual data, um, but it showed it was safe um, be for people 12 and up um, with about 3,000 kids in the study. And there, there weren't a lot of data points. I think there were only 16 people um, in the control group who got COVID um, versus zero in the, in the, in the vaccination group. Um, but still, it showed that it was safe and effective, which was good news. Um, other than that, um, not a lot of breaking national COVID news. Um, we are, you know, still vaccinating in this county. The county hasn't really updated, has not updated their dashboard, their vaccine dashboard since before our last show. So they're 
a little behind there. Um, but my gestalt is there's not a lot of vaccine coming into the county. Um, and that which is coming in is really second doses. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of first dose vaccine coming in right now. Somebody somewhere must have figured out that we were at a 50% vaccine rate. I know. I, I, I kind of wonder how we got away with it for so long. <laughs> but we really, our vaccine numbers here are really good. Yeah, I mean, California is 18% and we're about 50 um if if not higher actually so uh that's that's remarkable a remarkable discrepancy well they they seem to have figured it out because uh, i was told by one healthcare provider that they haven't gotten any new doses for at least a month yeah here in the county so and uh do you want me to go ahead and read the the vaccine events that i was able to to turn up that is a long page but people get your pencils ready and we'll do it sort of in order like we'll start with the uh the location and then the type of vaccine and then the the date so uh and then at the end i'll tell you how to get registered for it so before you get into it though the other news since last show is we have crossed the threshold of april 1st and so the eligibility has oh yes Um, not that there's vaccine coming in but there's broader eligibility so you can get signed up and get on the queue to get the vaccine which should arrive within the next couple weeks and a lot of the local pharmacies are actually also administering the vaccine so you can you can go there and make or make an appointment with um pharmacies in Ukiah and Fort Bragg, I believe, um, to get the vaccine. Right. That's a good point. I did not do research about the the company, the vac- the um, pharmacies who are administering the vaccine, yeah. but all the local pharmacies, including, I think, Walmart, are doing yeah. vaccines, and you sign up through their, their websites. Their private website, yeah. So that's a whole other way to get your hands on it or to get your arm on it. <laughs> um, and, and those ones also seem to have Johnson & Johnson. Yes, which is a very nice option since it's just one. If you just want to go to Walmart the one time. Yes. Um, Okay, but these are the ones that are provided through public health and the clinics. So uh, in Talmadge, the county's holding a Johnson & Johnson vaccine clinic on Wednesday at MCOE, focusing on agricultural workers. So that's kind of a a new thing, Uh, both the Johnson & Johnson clinic and using the Mendocino County Office of Education out in Talmadge to to do that. So that's kind of cool. the Ukiah Fairgrounds, there will be a first-dose Pfizer clinic on Thursday. Uh, that's from 1 to 7. And as you said, since it's April 1st, it's all individuals in Phase 1A, Phase 1B, and over 50 are eligible for that. There is a sign-up link at their website for that one today. So that's at mendocinocounty.org. Uh, RCMS and Wallala, they're doing regular vaccine clinics on Saturdays with smaller events during the week and via clinic visits and they so far the clinics are um, posting how many shots they've administered and rcms has 4768 for the south coast then mendocino coast clinics will have a first dose pfizer clinic this week uh they're asking you to call for an appointment for 50 plus uh, and household members of anyone who's currently eligible I like that one. So if you're 50 plus or a household member of someone currently eligible, you can call MCC. Uh, They're not sure yet if the clinic will be Thursday or Friday this week, but uh, call them at 964-1251 to get on the list. Uh, And they're also distributing vaccines through their street medicine program. They posted they've done over 5,000 shots for the Mendocino Coast. So that's awesome. Uh, Maybe you know more about this than I could find, but in Anderson Valley at Anderson Valley Health Center, they're doing regular weekly vaccinations on Thursday. And they said that um, during the transition to Blue Shield, uh, 
who's going to start allocating the doses directly to clinics. They are not getting any first doses, but they're expecting to get more soon. And they currently have enough to give all the second doses that are needed. Yeah, they're doing a second dose event this Thursday. Okay, good. So if you got your first dose at Anderson Valley Health Center and you're ready for your second dose, it'll be there for you. Uh, in Laytonville at Long Valley Health Center, starting this week, they'll be doing regular vaccination clinics on Thursdays and Fridays, and they have uh, administered 1,860 shots in Laytonville, which is nothing to sneeze at. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't know there were half that many people in Laytonville. That's what I'm saying. I mean, this is amazing. And same with Round Valley Indian Health Center. They've administered 1,393 shots to the Round Valley community. I mean, that's huge okay so uh round valley round valley indian health center will hold a vaccine event on saturday april 10th and on friday april 16th both of those are from 11 a.m to 2 p.m and they're asking you to bring your id or your tribal id and that is at the rvit covid relief center on riff road you can call them at 983-6181 and finally oh no i have two more in Willits, Bechtel Creek Clinic is having a second dose Moderna clinic on Wednesday, April 14th. And Mendocino Community Health Center in Ukiah is partnering with Alex Rohrbaugh Center, and they're doing mass vaccine events every Wednesday. Uh, next week, it's going to be a second dose Pfizer clinic, and they're also distributing Johnson & Johnson through office visits. So it's a lot. It is. For not having a lot of vaccines coming into the county, there sure are a lot of events. Well, they're small events. They are. Yeah. They are. Yeah, no, I was told that the, the ARC event this week is going to be for 100 people. Yeah, and that's, I think that's going to become the new normal. Uh -huh. There's just not going to be that much buy-in um, for mm -hmm. people wanting the vaccine in this county pretty quickly. I mean, it will, we'll see a surge when it opens up all the way down to 16 um, in 10 days. Um, but, you know, we will fill that need, I imagine, by the 1st of May um, if we get the vaccine and then it will really become a trickle after that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, a lot of us will be vaccinated. Yes, indeed. So, and it sounds like uh, imminently movie theaters are going to be opening. The, you know, restaurants are going to be opening for further capacity for indoor We should dining. be moving into a less dangerous tier soon. Um, I anticipate that's going to happen. And California is still lagging behind CDC's recommendations or guidelines, which is remarkable because the CDC has been, shall we say, sloth-like in their <laughs> recommendations. Uh, but California is even, you know, being outpaced by the snail. Um, and so at some point, I imagine that the California will revise their guidelines or at least speak to um, the significant portion of the population that is vaccinated and what what those individuals may or may not safely do. You mean in terms of uh, the CDC as being sloth-like in terms of opening things back up or guidelines for that? Just, just in general, the response mm -hmm. to this pandemic has been extremely cautious and ham-handed um to be kind um and you know even they are now saying it's okay for vaccinated individuals to congregate together in small in small settings and california hasn't hasn't let, yet lifted that uh, prohibition so. now but what do you think is responsible for the surge of 18 percent that we're seeing nationwide and it, i heard it was like in the m states <laughs> <laughs> Not in Maine. <laughs> Not in Maine. But Massachusetts, Michigan. Are there some other M states? There are. 
those ones. Yeah. Um, well, Michigan's a big one, um, and so you know that's that. I I, I think we're going to just continue to see the cyclical nature. Um, I don't think it's anything that Michigan has or has not done particularly to bring this upon themselves. Those states which had significant surges tend to learn um, from the experience for a while, and people are more cautious. Um, and then that memory fades, and we open things back up, and we start to see another surge. Unfortunately, some of these states that are seeing a surge have slightly lower vaccination rates, but it's, it's frankly not all that much lower. Um, and so it's just a cyclical nature. Um, I think part of it is just the the fluke of um, closely tracking 50 different states, and some states are just going to happen to be worse than others. You know, one would predict that states that are really lax about things would have bigger surges, but that's not really translating in the in the real in the real world um, right now. And it's it's really hard to give a concise summary of why we aren't seeing that linear sort of re- re- relationship between restrictions and COVID. Um, morbidity and mortality. Um, with epidemiology, is it ever linear? No, it's it's it really messy. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. so that's just normal. So yeah. what do you? I mean, we kind of live linear in lives <laughs> yes. individually. So what do we do as people trying to keep ourselves safe? Well, we we get vaccinated, um, and we keep a close eye on these strains, which you know really it does not appear that they're causing a significant surge and i think you know particularly the b117 um, variant um that's pretty prominent throughout the country at this point um isn't leading to a massive surge which was a possibility um by now um and i think it bespeaks to the fact that these this vaccine is quite effective at uh, preventing its transmission so that's good. Um, what we do is continue doing what we have been doing um, until our numbers truly drop to very, very low levels. But right, yeah. COVID will remain with us forever. It's not going away. It's just going to get you know, contained, shall we say. I feel like we're going to have this kind of weird transition period when we start to actually gather again. If we're if we ever get there, we're like I don't know. We've kind of adjusted to staying far away and keeping our faces covered. And are we going back to normal? And what's that going to feel like? I think it'll be I think it'll be weird. I think it's going to happen sort of gradually. I think it's going to happen at different rates in different parts of the country. Um, and here in Mendo Land, I think it'll just be a little bit more slow. Um, but. You know, we'll get there. We'll we'll re-remember or we'll re-recollect what the old normal was like, and we will not get exactly to that, but there will be an approximation. Masks will go away maybe by the end of the year, um, but you know, it might not be until next winter before we are fully confident that we don't need to wear a mask inside any longer. I keep wanting to go and see people and hang out, and then the actual reality of it when. <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, that's coming soon, frankly. I think travel and socialization is going to become um, much more plausible and certainly much safer um, within within months, if not weeks. Um, and that's what that's one thing I'm speaking to when I talked about California not really quite getting on board with what the CDC's um, recommending. Um, so I, I think we'll get to that point where we can visit with family and friends. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, frankly, that restaurants are open for indoor dining and yet you know people can't get together and have a meal with friends per the California guidelines. I 
that that's just insane, right? So, you know, that that's going to go away soon because, well, it just doesn't make any sense. All right. Well, should we see if anybody is still paying any attention to us and if they have questions? Well, I don't know. Have you heard of VAERS? VAERS. Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting I System? have heard of it. Huh? Yeah. I have heard of it uh, in, in terms of, uh, like... Um, anti-vax arguments about how dangerous vaccines are well people are now motivated to be going to vaccine events and leaving flyers on cars um, talking about the the numbers that have been reported to that cdc database really shows motivation um doesn't show much else but it does show motivation um but anyway VAERS is a Um, reporting database maintained by the government to track adverse events um, from vaccines, not just COVID, but every vaccine. It's self-reported, it's unverified, and there's no attempt to um, link causality onto the vaccine. This is simply data that is dumped into a governmental database that is generally only surveyed by um, scientists and by epidemiologists to track sort of pick up early concerns about a particular vaccine. But it is, of course, tracked by the people who are, shall we say, vaccine hesitant. At any rate, they are circulating the numbers that have responded or reported events from the vaccine. Um, And so you might find a flyer on your car. But keep in mind that the data on that is both out of date um, and also um, completely unverified and use of that sort of data is shows a lack of understanding of what it actually represents. Right, so somebody printed out a flyer that had um, pretty scary-looking VAERS numbers on it and went to a vaccine event in Willits and put it on people's cars. And it then, would be Willits, of course. Yeah. We love Willits. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> in stacks on the laundromat. Yeah. So the thing that is so interesting to me is that people feel this strongly about wanting to stop people from getting the vaccine, that they would actually take the time to print out a flyer. I know, that's what I'm saying, it shows motivation. It but really and, it, and for people who aren't you know, following this stuff or don't have a strong feeling either way, it could be very scary to see the, the numbers, but what you're saying is that these numbers are self-reported, unverified. Correct. And when I followed up on it with the CDC's website, they said that there have been you know, like it, they say, you know, numbers of deaths, numbers of permanent disabilities, really scary stuff. Birth defects. Is it even possible to track birth defects from the COVID-19 vaccine at this point? Well, there's no evidence that it causes birth defects. And, and there's really no biologic plausibility that it would. So that's that's completely spurious. So and the CDC said that when they would followed up on any of these reports that they had found n- nothing, no link of COVID-19 vaccination to deaths. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw that on their website as well. I, I actually do have to take issue with that. I, I think there have been probably a handful of deaths from the COVID vaccine in this country so far. Um, I've seen case reports in the medical literature of people who have had, had you know, very serious um very rare to be sure um but very serious reactions probably due to the vaccine um they're extraordinarily rare um it's not anywhere close to um the level of risk associated with covid um we're talking on you know on the order of 10,000 if not 100,000 times lower likelihood of a significant serious adverse event from the vaccine 
but I wouldn't say it's zero, it's zero. nationwide with you know 60 million doses administered or thereabouts. Right, right. Well, and that's important to, to be realistic about what it is uh, yeah, and it, not try to deny it. Well, I, you know, I, one can deny anything, but I, I, some things just you know, have certain risk. And vaccines do have a tiny but real and quantifiable risk. And by the time we get through this pandemic, how many people are going to die from a vaccine or have some sort of permanent harm from the vaccine? I don't know, maybe 100, maybe 200. We're talking 555,000 dead so far. So, you know, anybody that can do math or division can probably, you know, figure out what that ratio is. Um, and, you know, the odds in my analysis certainly favor the vaccine quite strongly. Yeah. And when you're thinking about your own personal risk of getting the vaccine, it's so incredibly low that there would be any kind of adverse effect. Well, serious. I mean, there's obviously, and this is been discussed ad nauseum, but the the local sort of brief transitory uh, reaction to the second dose typically is is an effect. And, you know, that's probably part of the 40,000 or 55,000 adverse events that have been reported to the CDC um, reporting system. But that is an effect from the vaccine. It's It's not serious. It might be a little unpleasant, but it's not a serious effect. Yeah, I kind of felt like, you know, something that you'd like to have happen so that you know that you're getting the immunity. (laughs) Maybe not the best afternoon of my life, but, you know. Then then you're through it. Far from the worst. Um, Okay, so should we open up the phone lines and see if anyone else has anything to add? We have a whole hour to fill, so hopefully somebody does. 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. And we come to you every Monday afternoon from 3 to 4 now at this stage of the pandemic. Started out doing it every day. (laughs) Hey, you know. Couldn't sustain that for too long. People wanted to know. And we were worried. Um, but, But now, and then we went to three days a week. And now we're down to one day a week. So let's take our first call. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Can you turn your radio off, please? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, well, that shows it that uh, it seems we're in remission. Everything's lightening up, and uh, that's great news. Thank you, Dr. Tovax, for your updates. Um I find that a little bit uh, comforting that because I got the back the Pfizer uh, two shots and uh, have a sense of uh, well-being and but at the same time, yeah, the fact that uh, the variant will be uh, uh, also uh, combated by the facts is comforting. So. Good news. Uh, I, the only com- I wanted to not ask a question, but make a comment. I found it very strange that uh, at my second vax day, they had imported people from Detroit to administer the vaccine, and I found that odd that we didn't have. Uh, uh, People, the local people that would be employed. Anyway, I'll take my uh, answer off the air. Thanks, Doc. 
<laughs> You're welcome. I, I, I have no idea where the importation of Detroit, uh, Michigan folks um, comes from or where that occurred. That That is news to me. Uh, my understanding is all of these vaccine events have been staffed by workers at the local um, health centers or through public health or through Adventist, um, which has been supporting public health with nursing and physicians. So I I don't think that people are coming in from out of state to administer the vaccine, but maybe there was some outlying event somewhere that did. I I haven't heard that. Nope, nope. Haven't, haven't heard that either. Yeah. Uh, 707-895-2448. Here's our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Is there anyone there, caller? Hello? Hello, caller. You're live on the air. <clears throat> yes, excuse me. Um, I was calling to see... I know that we're going to be living with COVID for many, many years, but I want to know... Um, say the United States all gets vaccinated, what the probability is of people coming in from other countries that have that are way down on the vaccination distribution list of maybe causing another outbreak? I mean, everybody's talking about how great the United States is doing, but obviously there's countries that import to the United States from other countries that aren't getting anywhere near the vaccination numbers we are, and I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that anyway i'll take my answer on the air thank you so much sure that's that's a really good question and uh, yeah it's clear uh, to people who think about this that this is not just a national it's a pandemic right so it's a global event um and it's going to require global control before we can really start to get into the clear on this um which is why the vaccines um such as the j and j vaccine or the beleaguered astrazeneca vaccine are really the ones that are going to save save the world if you will um because they are cheap um and they are readily transported and in the case of the J&J, it's a single dose. So um, that's, you know, that's the game changer. The problem, as the caller rightly points out, is a lot of countries, Europe included, are way behind the U.S. on vaccine efforts. Um, and that just means that those countries are going to continue to have recurrent surges, you know, probably through the summer again, until the vaccine uptake is significantly higher than what we're seeing right now. And as long as the vaccine numbers stay low, the virus is going to continue to have the evolutionary opportunity to mutate um, and, you know, strains will be selected that give them an advantage and may result in recurrent surges and may in fact even show some resistance or ability to bypass the immunity incurred by these vaccines. So it it's certainly incumbent upon our the U.S. as a national policy to fund and fully support um, worldwide vaccination efforts, uh, particularly in developing nations that can't afford um, this type of an effort to protect ourselves um it's it there's a very clear um and present risk of um a new strain emerging in less and until we get this controlled on a worldwide basis so travelers coming in will bring in new strains and we've already seen that with the with the strains that um that we're dealing with currently we're also seeing that these strains are emerging 
independently um, and spontaneously at different um, locations throughout the world. So, you know, this virus does mutate, and the more people that can still get it and can still spread it, the more people... Um, the more we'll see these strains emerge. So good, good point um, and need for continued sort of worldwide control. All right. Let's take our next call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi. Um, you too, the regulars on Monday. <laughs> um, I, I'm glad to hear you talk about that uh, little issue. I was thinking of bringing it up, and then you, you invited me in by bringing it up. Uh, I was on a call today from my son, who is uh, a Parisian, and um, he said they're in another shutdown. Um, they've been testing hires to be. Uh, their Monday numbers are always low because it has to do with Sunday testing, but uh, it's even a, a high Monday at 11,000 positive tests nationwide today, and it was like 66,000 for uh, yesterday for, for the Saturday count, I believe. Mm-hmm. And... Um, previous the second shutdown schools weren't really shut down but this time uh the schools also are shut down um and so not really sure what's going to happen for the next after the next few weeks because they're you know doing that but i think they just brought it down to um 70 year olds can get vaccinated in france now yeah, they're, they're, Europe is, you know, the EU is way behind, um, which right. is both surprising and disappointing since they have a, you know, they have a, a universal health care system. Um, but there have been just a series of bad choices um, in retrospect about the vaccine rollout and vaccine selection and distribution that have just really hampered their efforts to get people vaccinated. But it's not just France. I mean, France is definitely in a surge, but there are other countries in Europe as well that are, that are surging fairly significantly. Um, right. No, I was just going from my own, like, firsthand conversation with somebody over there yeah. from just today. That Right there, uh, he and then uh, my son's wife works for uh, uh, the government, and the government's saying that people should come to work, but then they're also... Um, providing for some people not to like because like they got kids and so um the government in paris is offering little bonus for uh people that are coming in because they do need some people to come in to keep certain operations running even though they're advocating stay home from work so Hmm. stuff like that's going on yeah well that's you know and that bespeaks sort of the low level vaccine um rollout that they've that, that they've experienced and you know they probably opened things up a little bit too soon um until they got better yeah. control yeah anyway just want to thank yeah, you no, for thanks for that insight and you know can you coverage. yeah and if if your son ever vacates his uh paris apartment let me know oh well actually uh that uh, we'll have to talk <laughs> off the air <laughs> sounds good oh, yeah. <laughs> all right thanks for the call This is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. The phone lines are open. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. And the number is 707-895-2448-895-2448. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yes. I have a question. I heard that uh, once you get the vaccination, you get your second shot, two weeks after the second shot of the Pfizer, then... You can't. If you get it, you can't transmit it to somebody else. Is that true? 
that is a qualified probably true, if you will. Um, so that that's still the open question, and the more and more data is pointing toward the fact that there is going to be some low-level um, transmission um, from fully vaccinated asymptomatic people who actually have COVID, may or may not know it, um, and they can transmit it. That, that rate of transmission, though, is probably going to prove to be quite, quite low indeed. We still haven't seen the data on it. The takeaway from you know the individual perspective, however, is once you're fully vaccinated, we know the likelihood of you're getting significantly sick from COVID is effectively zero, uh, which is remarkable. Yeah, yeah, I was just kind of wondering. I know you you can't get it yourself, but could you, hopefully you won't be able to transmit it unknowingly. Well, yeah, hopefully, the, the hopeful um, part of your question or statement is, is still uh, unknown. Um, and so oh, okay. we don't really know yet, which is why vaccinated is one of the reasons why vaccinated people are still encouraged to you know, wear a mask and distance and, and whatnot. Um, the, it, it's also important to keep in mind that these vaccines are somewhere in the realm of you know, 94, 95 percent effective, which means you know, one in 20 people may get COVID at some point. Um, and if those people have COVID, I think it's safe to assume that those individuals can transmit it. Um, it might be transmitted at a lower level of infectivity, um, but uh, that will happen. Um, that, that data, though, we just don't yet have. Okay, well, thank you very, very much. You're welcome. All right, thanks for the call. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hello. Um, my question is is in how the vaccine works. Like, I know that it programs your cells to produce those uh, T-spike proteins, or those uh, spike proteins, rather. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, my question is, once it does that, does your body continue to make those cells, or is it just a temporary thing until you build up the antibodies? Yeah, so that's that's a good question, and, and you know the immune system is wonderfully complex, um, and you know still honestly not fully understood. But the the amount of the number of cells and uh, modulators um, in our bodies that temper and control our immune response numbers in the thousands um and so it's it's hard to simply summarize exactly how the body stands down after being presented with a new antigen um what the vaccine does is prompts our body to manufacture um a replica of the spike protein of the coronavirus that then triggers our immune response that immune response over the course of several weeks goes into a dormant mode um where you maintain some level of active antibodies um which then can be reactivated and trigger the sort of more aggressive immune response if the body is presented with the actual antigen which would be the covid virus um that sort of dormant antibody um, mode or the active antibody mode so far appears to be durable, which is to say it has lasted as long as people have been able to study the vaccine, which goes back to early last summer. Um, And so it has durable immunity as far as we know for 10 months now. The immune 
our immune response naturally does sort of fade over time, which is why for things like the shingles vaccine or other vaccines, you need sporadic boosters to remind the body to keep those antibodies um, on standby. So yes, it still makes the antibodies going forward, but that level of production declines naturally as it does um, for every antibody that our body maintains surveillance. And we're talking, you know, literally hundreds of millions of different um, antigens that our body's able to identify and, um, and you know, fight off. Well, what I was wondering, mm-hmm. you know, other than the antigen, mm-hmm. but the, the cells themselves that we manufacture after getting, you know, the, the replica um, spike protein cells, so we're not, do we stop? Yeah, so, does, does that stop happening? Yeah, so, yeah no, so we're not, we're not manufacturing whole cells um, from the vaccine. That's, that's not what's happening. What, what the okay. vaccine is doing is it's triggering our body to manufacture antibodies and um, helper T cells that are specific to the antigen that has been um, built or assembled uh, with the directions from the mRNA that's contained in the vaccine. Okay, so Does, so then once they've been the, the one, taken care of mm-hmm. in the beginning by the by the antigens, mm-hmm. then we're not going to make more. The antigens will just be aware of what it goes. In. It, it goes into a dormant state, as it does with you know the hundreds of millions of other antigens um, that your body has mm-hmm. um, recognized over the course of our lives. I mean, we have T cells. There are literally you know, hundreds of millions of individual antigen-specific um, T cells um, in our body that can identify antigens and trigger an entire cascade of immune response. Um, if that antigen, you know, becomes present in the body somewhere. And this just becomes one more of those um, antigens. Okay, so there's, n- there's not ongoing manufacture um, in a significant okay. level of cells or antibodies that are going to continue to circulate through your body without without reason so to speak um our body's very efficient <laughs> at our body's very efficient at standing things down uh when there's no enemy to fight um and that's that's kind of how this works it you know the vaccines are brilliant in the fact that they are able to simply induce a new antibody um safely um and just add that to the our body to our body's library of recognized antigens does that make sense okay thank you yep it does it does it's I'm it's, still, it, it's I'm very confusing i mean you i'm can... getting the vaccine but i don't want to <laughs> i don't put anything in my body i don't even eat sugar but you know gotta do it well so i'd I, like to be fully informed you yeah know? it's you know it, it is fraught and i understand that and i've you know spoken to that you know many times and you know i think a lot of people in this county are really focused on you know protecting the the purity, if you will, of our bodies. Um, but the reality is our bodies are um, assaulted continuously um, with antigens of various sorts. I mean, if you go out in the garden, the number of things that you're exposed to in the soil is, you know, hundreds of millions. And our body has antibodies that recognize a lot of those things and can react to them if necessary. This would just become one more, and it comes in the form of a, you know, a half a milliliter shot in the arm, but it's not really different from our body's own um, response. It's just artificially induced. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, thanks. Mm-hmm. Bye bye.
totally phenomenal to think about that. With the body, how many, how would you say tens of millions? Alive? Hundreds. There, there's antigen-specific helper uh, T killer T cells that um, are specific for every conceivable antigen. It's really quite remarkable. So if you have pets or if you work in the garden, you're exposed to all those germs and microbes. Yeah, we're exposed constantly. We are, we are dirty beasts. <laughs> Germ samples. Yes. Hello, caller, you're live on the air. Why, we are dirty beasts, and I love playing in that giant sandbox of the garden, I'll tell you. It's one of my favorite activities, just like a little kid. Um, I, I got my first vaccine today. I'm very grateful. And the people who vaccinated me, I knew both of them. I mean, I only got one person vaccinating me and one person doing the intake, but I knew both of them. I'm in Fort Bragg. Um, uh, so a kind of what... I'm interested in asking um, are, you know, these various strains, and it's obvious it's going to happen because, and it's going to take a stronghold because there are quite a few people who I know who don't want to get vaccinated, and, you know, that's their choice, um, of course, and, and it seems to all be fear-based, and... Um, um, but anyway, that's a judgment on my part. So my question is, as these strains come up, here we are. We're, we're getting vaccinated, a lot of people, in more or less the last 10 months or the last four months anyway. Um, as these strains come up and this, these vaccines we now have are not effective against those strains, what is the efficacy, the safety? Uh, they're going to probably be developing new vaccines to combat all these various strains, uh, which seem to be numerous even at the moment, um, of getting a second dose of vaccine within, say, depending on what happens, a six-month period. Yeah, so that that's a possibility, and that, that's being intensely studied by um, the vaccine developers and manufacturers right now. And it's it's becoming apparent that there is less efficacy um, of the current vaccines against a couple of the most prominent strains currently. It's still pretty good. It's just not quite as good as the um, strains that the vaccines were tested against originally back in September and October. Um I suspect um, that what we're going to see um, is as these strains become more prevalent and given their slight, abil slight increased ability to do an end run around um, the vaccine-induced immunity of the, you know, at least the portion of the population that is vaccinated, that they will become the dominant strains and they will remain um, prevalent in our population which I suspect is going to lead to a booster um, probably this fall, whether it's for the B117 or the B351 or the one that's colloquially called EEK um, or, or some combination thereof. I, that hasn't happened yet, but that possibility remains significant. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit frustrating because the opportunity for these strains to propagate um, remains high as long as there is a significant portion of the population that's not vaccinated. If we were all vaccinated with a snap of the fingers 
by tomorrow, um, then these strains, even though they can kind of evade the vaccine-induced immunity, wouldn't have enough susceptible or highly susceptible host to propagate. And so, you know, the more people that get vaccinated, even with um, our current iteration of vaccine, uh, the more likely uh, that we're going to be able to get out ahead of uh, the evolution of these strains. Right. Okay. Um, uh, well, I agree 100%. And um, I'm glad to hear that people who are getting vaccinated, I got the Pfizer, uh, are not uh, getting ill, or at least not significantly ill. And I take it they're not having long term effects on their bodies. I have a good friend who had, seems to have permanent brain and lung damage. I mean, I've known her for uh, 55 years. And. Um, that scares the pucky out of me. Um, from long COVID? From COVID, that's yeah. right. She got it a number of months ago, and uh, she doesn't live in the area. She lives down in the Bay Area, and she works in a grocery store, and she thinks that she thinks she got it because she, she was masked, but she couldn't keep her hands away from her face, and she figures that's how she got it. Um, and it, for me, it's very sad. As I'm getting older, you know, I watch my friends pass away, uh, some of them, and it's going to happen to all of us. Uh, but I think for me personally, even worse than that is to see people debilitated. Um, you know, uh, depends on the degree of debilitation. Um, so, uh, Dr. Colfax, what can, I mean, what do you think can be said to people to soothe what I'm perceiving as their fears, uh, to make them feel less I mean, it, to me, it appears they're afraid because they're saying, oh, it's going to change my DNA. Oh, I'm going to let my immune system take care of this. I want to go all natural. Um, I'm going to go homeopathic. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Yeah. How, what can be said to people to make them feel, I mean, I don't like getting vaccinated. My favorite vaccine was polio. It was a sugar cube. It was great. <laughs> um, and I was 45. Yeah. <laughs> but. This is, you know, this is a shot. People are definitely afraid of shots. Um, what can be, you know, I mean, you've been working with this. What can one, what can I say to my friends? It's, uh, and I don't want to push anything on them. They, it's their decision, but I want them to feel safe. Sure, and it's it's actually, it's complex, right? I mean, it's it's not just the people on the sort of natural homeopathic side of the spectrum. It's also people on the completely opposite end of that spectrum, at least politically, who just think that this is, you know, phony baloney. Um, and so the conversation is not a one-size-fits-all conversation. Um, the conversation that I tend to follow is, I, I first sort of question people's um, sources of information um, because there are a lot of very bad sources of information thanks to something called the Internet. They're, and they're pretty good at looking like they're good sources of information. Yeah, no, I mean, we got an email just this past week from, you know, from a listener who wanted my feedback on some phony baloney vet virologist out of Belgium. And, you know, this is kind of the... the, the hokum that's being foisted on the internet um and so 
I would urge um, all of us to question our sources of information, for starters, because if you read it on the Internet or if you heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who, then that's not really a great um, source. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing that I can speak to from personal experience is the devastating effects of COVID um, and, you know, weighed against um, people's anxiety about, you know, some abstract fear of this unnatural vaccine um, needs to be analyzed and addressed. Um, and I, I think that that should be done in a, you know, in an open and honest way. I'm not going to say vaccines are 100% safe all the time because that's just not true. But boy, they are sure a whole lot better than the actual disease. Um, and then finally, I mean, you talk about you know things being natural. Um, sure, you can you can do it naturally, but you know one part of nature is a very painful and awful death. Um, and you know if if you want to get natural immunity, go for it. But our immune systems um, really respond well to the vaccine. It's a tailored, specific immune response that works very effectively versus the chaotic and sometimes fatal um, immune response to the natural um, COVID illness. Right. Right. People have expressed the fear that there's heavy metals in these vaccines. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not true. Mercury, not true. These things, and yep. it's like, where are, you, where are you getting these ideas? I have no idea if it's true, but it seems... Well, I, I do have an idea if it's true, and it is not. These vaccines do not contain any heavy metals or preservatives, actually. All they have is a, a lipid um, or a fat um, packaging, um, which is quite safe. It's used in literally thousands of products um that we are exposed to constantly so there's there's no preservatives there's no arsenic or lead or metals or anything else it does not alter your dna and it does not contain any covid um all of which are things that you can you know find you know you can find good articles um so to speak or persuasive articles um speaking to the opposite anywhere on the internet all right color thank you so much for the call Hang in there. Just... Thank you, both of you, very much for this great service. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, caller. Oh. You're live on the air. Yeah, hi. My question is this. Um, I got both of the Pfizer, but I take very strong immune-compromising medication. And I'm curious to know whether it's possible to get an antibody test to see whether the shot had any effect on me. Yeah, it's, it's possible to get an antibody test. Um, it would be very hard to interpret it in a way that would make any sense um so you know there 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 are antibody tests that you can get to see if you've you know mounted a if you're retaining an immune response um to the vaccines um but it would be difficult for your healthcare provider to say that this means that you are now significantly or more significantly protected um, or less significantly protected than we would expect you to be from being fully vaccinated. So I, I would urge you and others in your position to 
you know, rely on the overall data um, for the vaccine, continue to be fairly cautious while this pandemic is amongst us in these current mm-hmm. numbers. Um, and, you know, it's it's clear, it's relatively clear at least, that even people with significant immune compromise are still mounting um, a good immune response to the vaccine. Um, and so even, you know, even in your apparent in- situation, uh, the data is pointing toward the fact that this vaccine is equally good at um, giving you immunity. As, okay, that's as, as when compa- I have not seen that. Yeah, well, okay. sure. So, but but you know, it's, I haven't seen that. I've been I've been googling like crazy, and I haven't seen any any information, or there haven't been any studies so far on immune compromise or people taking immune compromising medication, and. It, yeah, it, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are, there are a lot of immune. There are a lot of different kinds of immune compromise, right? And so, yeah. you know, it, it's 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 difficult to say, you know, in X situation or Y situation, or you know, this disease or that disease, that um, this vaccine is you know, this much more or less effective than in the population as a whole. But as more and more data um, develops and is um, accessible, um, particularly when we're looking at, you know, 60 million Americans vaccinated, um, it's becoming increasingly clear um, that it does uh, does trigger an immune response. Um, And, you know, we only need to look at um, the extremely elderly um, who are also you know somewhat immune compromised just by age um, to see that this vaccine works in them um, and so that type of data you know can be reassuring or not depending on you know how precise you want to be about one's own um, health uh, health status okay thank yeah. you very, so, very but be careful you know be safe and you know just continue yeah. to follow the covid rules um we are getting through this um but we're not you know nothing is nothing is absolute as i've said over and over again yeah all right thanks for the call caller bye bye all right it looks like we've got time for one or two more calls it's 895-2448 this is the local coronavirus update with dr drew colfax hey caller you're live on the air Oh, wonderful. So, since so many people are getting their second shot, so I wanted to see, talk about some of the things I've seen online and ask a question um, of what I used. So, I wanted to ask Dr. Colfax if it's all right to use Arnica gel on your arm because my arm was so sore from the first one, and I did use it, and it did bring me a lot of relief. I just wanted to see if there was anything about that that would have been the wrong. No, that's fine. And then... Okay, and then the other thing I've been reading is just to say, stay super hydrated, and then also make sure you have plenty of protein. Does that make sense? I'm not sure about the protein. Um, hydration is always a good idea. Um, you know, this does induce in a minority of people about 12 to 24 hours of fevers and chills. Um, it's also completely safe to take Tylenol or ibuprofen um, for you know to counteract the side effects of the, the second shot or the first shot, depending on one's own response. Okay. Well, great. I just wanted to throw out some ideas of how people could maybe give themselves some relief. Um, I've heard it was good to make sure you have plenty of time to rest afterwards. Yeah, Which I was happy happy to do that. Yeah, a lot of people are taking the day off after their second dose. Um, you know, not all of us have, but it's it's reasonable if if you feel and if you are able to do it. Um, the alternative is simply to you know load up on ibuprofen, Tylenol, and sweat it out. 
All right. All well, right. thank you for your time and the show. Appreciate sure. it. All right. Thanks for the call. Yeah, just a little kind of self-care around the achiness yeah. and the fever. I didn't have a fever, but I, I did sort of regular Tylenol. Well, took care of it. Yeah. But I understood why people take the day off. That's for sure. And I have lots of friends who didn't take the day off and wish that they had and wish that they could have. Yeah, I actually elected to work on that day. I don't want to feel oh, bad on my day right, off. Right, just keep, yeah. keep your mind off of it. <laughs> All right, uh, we just have a couple minutes left. Let's see if we can take one more call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Do you have a quick one? Well, I'm not sure it's going to be quick. <laughs> um, it's actually a two-part question, so I may have to call in again next week. For people who are experiencing ongoing um, issues with their second vaccination, and they call either, they don't have doctors, but they call either the manuf you know, like Pfizer or Moderna or the CDC and report it. Um, what responsibility are these institutions and organizations taking to verify it? It seems like a lot to put the burden on the person who is now living, you know, basically with a chronic illness um, for months at a time. Uh, to put the burden on them to, without, you know, access to doctors, to have to verify it. So what responsibility is the CDC and the um, Pfizer and Moderna taking? Thank you. Yeah, so their responsibility is to continue to track people's immune responses um, as well as adverse events from these vaccines. And they are doing that, and the CDC is doing that. That's that's part of the, the vaccine adverse event reporting system that we referenced at the top of the hour. Um, the chronic illness induced from the vaccine, I'm not really seeing a lot of that, if any, frankly. So I, I, I think your experience is atypical, to say the least. Um, but the responsibility uh, really lies with both the, the, the vaccine manufacturers, um, aided by the CDC, um, and, um, you know, those two entities or that constellation of entities is what's tracking and responding to this um there is you know a federal program in place um a vaccine adverse event sort of compensation program for people who've had serious verifiable responses to a um, vaccine that has been in place for decades now and works fairly well um but you know that's not we haven't seen that um, in play uh, with this vaccine rollout because the adverse events are so rare indeed, or the significant adverse events. All right. Well, that's going to do it. That was quick. Yeah. Well done. Well, we made it quick. Right? Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's just a, a couple minutes before 4 o'clock. We're going to make way now for Democracy Now!, this has been the local coronavirus update. Our weekly coronavirus update will be back next Monday at 3 o'clock. Indeed. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Thanks again. Thank you, callers. Be safe. And I just want to mention uh, real briefly in the last th 30 seconds is that many of us today are grieving the loss of our friend and comrade Joe Lewis Wildman, who died unexpectedly at home this weekend. And uh, I just want to give love to his family and friends and say we can honor him by making a contribution to our favorite progressive candidates and showing up to regular meetings of political parties. Uh, and our hearts really go out to his family and we'll remember him this week on the KZYX News probably tomorrow evening. So lots of love, Joe Lewis, and really sad. Yes. Just really sad. So um, 
Take care, everybody. Have a good week. And we will talk to you next Monday at 3 o'clock. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.